You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. All right, as you're being seated, if you want to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 47. We do have our notes in the Google Drive folder if you'd like to follow, uh, follow along through that format with our slide presentation. Um, we encourage you to do that. Genesis chapter 47, you'll remember last week we were talking about the um, the great move of the children of Israel to Egypt. So we're, we're all very familiar with the Exodus and Israel leaving Egypt. Last week we saw their Exodus to Egypt where they actually um, willingly go and, and live in Egypt. They're led there through circumstances, through um, other people uh, coming back and talking to Jacob about how important it is to do this, to survive the famine. And so um, they make this move, and we talked about how it's ultimately a gift from God, that God is um, wanting them in Egypt for their protection, both immediately from the famine, but long-term as well. Over the next 400 years, they're going to be protected, and we said they grow from a little over 70 to probably 2.4 million people when they actually leave Egypt. And so God's very good in taking them to Egypt um, and protects them and allows them to grow and flourish as he's keeping those uh, promises. And uh, we, we highlighted the fact that despite the circumstances and the counsel of others kind of pushing Jacob to do this, that before he really makes the decision, he consults with God to make sure that this is right for his family. We talked last week about our own decision-making process, that sometimes the circumstances would tell us to move or to look for a new job. Uh, we may receive counsel from others that would tell us to do that, to move, to relocate, to get a new job, to make changes to our life, big life changes. Um, we said just because circumstances tell us to do so, just because the counsel of others would tell us to do so, it doesn't negate the need to proceed with caution prayerfully, um, that if God would have us do something differently, that he would make that abundantly clear because what's right and good for one family or, or for one individual doesn't mean it's right or good for another individual or family. Remember, Isaac was not allowed to go to Egypt. Jacob is, a courage, is encouraged to go to Egypt by God. Um, similar circumstances, um, but from a big picture perspective, God wants one in Egypt and he wants the other to avoid going to Egypt. Um, we talked about the, the goodness of God and that he protects uh, Israel while they're there. Um, we said that ultimately um, Israel can't worship or intermarry with the Egyptians, that those two things alone allow them to keep their national identity um, as they live there for the next 400 years. Um, and so we just see God's permanent favor upon his people. We highlighted that from Psalm chapter 30 last week as God cares for uh, his people. And so we come now to Genesis chapter 47 um, at the end of this chapter and then into chapter 48, and that's where we're going to be today. It says in verse 27, Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt and the land of Goshen, and they gained possession in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the days of Jacob, the years of his life, were 147 years. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, talking about Jacob, he called his son Joseph and said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. He answered, I will do as you have said. And he said, swear to me. And he swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. After this, Joseph was told, behold, your father is ill. 
So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, and it was told to Jacob, your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed, and Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine as Rumid and Sibion are. And the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. As for me, when I came from Padan to Masaro, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way, when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath. And I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, who are these? Joseph said to his father, they are my sons whom God has given me here. And he said, bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face and behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Then Joseph removed them from his knees and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left hand and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand. And he brought them near him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys, and in them let my name be carried on in the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. And he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he shall also be be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations." So he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel pronounce blessings, saying, God, make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you rather than to your brothers one mountain slope that I took from the land of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. Um, Joseph's or Jacob's death and the ending of his life kind of carries on here um, throughout most of the rest of the remainder of Genesis. Um, it's kind of a an ending to the story that doesn't ever end, kind of one of those extended versions of Lord of the Rings where you're just like, when is this movie going to get over? Like, they kind of draw this out. We've seen other funerals in Genesis, right? We've seen uh, Abraham and how he dies. We've seen others of God's people get buried and how their burial is a testimony of their faith. We really get to see this in Jacob's burial. Um, We really get to see this as he has conversations with his sons, how he expresses his faith. And so um, today's sermon title, Old Age and Mature Faith, we're going to see in Jacob's old age the maturity of his faith and and what mature faith looks like. And and it doesn't mean that you have to wait until um, you're old in age to to exude mature faith, but they, they do go hand in hand in some senses because of the lifetime experiences Um, that oftentimes will grow us and mature us in our faith. Um, So let's look at our summary sentence. 
believers mature in their faith through a lifetime of experiences of God shepherding and delivering them from difficulty, giving them their greatest opportunity for praise in their old age. Believers mature in their faith through a lifetime of experiences of God's shep- of God shepherding and delivering them from difficulty, giving them their greatest opportunity for praise in their old age. For kids, God uses all of our life to mature us so that we can praise him to the fullest when we are older. This is kind of a, a, a flip way of thinking because in our culture, your best days are your younger years, right? Like if you're thinking from an athletic standpoint, um, commentators talk about an athlete being in the prime of his career, and that's late 20s, early 30s, and then you start moving into um, the, the mid-30s and, and the later 30s, and, and you're done, basically. You're not considered, um, you're not considered uh, able to be athletic to perform at a high level. And I remember getting into my mid-30s and thinking, wow, like if I was a professional athlete, my career would be over at this point. Like I'm out of my prime. Thankfully, I'm not a professional athlete. Thankfully, I'm a believer. And it sounds like the best days are still ahead because what we find from a, from a scriptural standpoint is that the older you get, the more opportunity there is to praise God because of those lifetime experiences. Um, and, and Jacob's gonna reference some of those and he's gonna say, look, as I look back into my past, I can see God shepherding me. I can see God delivering me. And so he's got this uh, end of the line perspective, but as he looks back over his life, he's giving greater praise at that point in his life than he really could have earlier in his life because of those experiences. His faith is greater at the end of his life because he's matured and come to a deeper level of trust because he's experienced God more than he did earlier in his life. Okay, so, so that lifetime experience as he continues to age year after year after year, he's growing in his faith. He's maturing in his faith and that should be the same case for us. Now, old age, being an old Christian doesn't necessarily equate to mature faith. Like they don't um, necessarily have to go together. You can easily go year after year after year and not mature in your faith at all. Um, but there's certainly the opportunity made available as we year after year are blessed to be on this earth and to experience more and more. God is giving us greater opportunity to praise him through these, uh, these increased amount of experiences that, that God brings us through. So believers mature in their faith through a lifetime of experiences of God shepherding and delivering them from difficulty. So the older you are, the more experiences you have to look back upon and to lean upon um, and to testify as to how God was good, how God continued to show his faithfulness time and time again. God shepherd us, God delivers us from those difficulties, gives us more and more opportunity for praise as we continue to get older. All right, Um, some introductory notes before we get into uh, the text this morning. What we find here is some similarities to Isaac trying to bless Jacob and Esau. You remember um, at that time in his life, he couldn't see very well. The text talks about Jacob being limited in his sight. Um, But what's really neat, Isaac was blinded physically, but also seemed to be a little bit blinded to the ways that God was working because remember, he tries to work against it. Instead of blessing Jacob like God had told him back before they were born, he tries to manipulate the situation and bless Esau instead, right? So Jacob's different in that his physical eyes are failing him, but his spiritual eyes are wide open and working properly. Um, He doesn't fall prey to what his father did. 
He moves forward with God's agenda. He's, he's testifying and demonstrating faith in the midst of this blessing, whereas Isaac kind of missed that opportunity. So Jacob's physical eyes aren't working right, but his spiritual eyes are wide open and working properly. The theme of the passage that we've read this morning is Jacob's undying belief in God's plan to return Israel to the land. Jacob's undying belief in God's plan to return Israel to the land. He, he's completely bought into this idea that Egypt is temporary and everybody's going back at some point. We see that in his desire for his body to be buried somewhere else. We see that in his blessing of Jacob or of Joseph's kids. He's blessing them double portion regarding the land of Canaan. He even gives Joseph a plot of land in Canaan. He's completely convinced that God plans to bring uh, the nation of Israel back. Now, you say, well, why, why are you tying all this into the old age aspect, and um, why, should we, why should we see this passage in light of that? I find it extremely interesting. We've been talking about Jacob for, for a while now, right, in the book of Genesis, um, back in at least 28, I think is where his story kind of picks up. So almost half the book of Genesis is devoted to Jacob um, and his life. And in Hebrews chapter 11, which is the, the passage that we talk about in regards to um, Old Testament people demonstrating their faith. To me, it's extremely interesting that in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 21, when Jacob is mentioned, like, let's hang, let's hang something on Jacob here. This is his great demonstration of faith. This is what the author of Hebrews singles out, the passage that we've just read. Right? Nothing else that we've talked about in Genesis regarding Jacob, not his great move to Egypt, because that would have certainly been a great thing to highlight, right? In, in the book of Hebrews, by faith, Jacob moved his family from the promised land to Egypt, believing that God would bring him back, right? Like that's not mentioned. Instead, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 21, by faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. This is is what's mentioned about Jacob here. His his great testimony of faith. When dying, he blessed the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. And then it goes right into, um, by faith, Joseph. So the author of Hebrews says, you know what? Don't skip over this chapter. Don't skip over this passage. And again, this is one of those where you may be looking at this and saying, I've never heard a sermon preached on this chapter. I've never heard one. I don't, I don't recall ever hearing one myself. But the author of Hebrews says, don't skip this chapter. This is Jacob's claim to fame here. This is Jacob demonstrating faith on his deathbed. And this is what he chooses to highlight out of all the other stories that we've talked about with Jacob, right? The, the latter incident where he gets the vision from God, the wrestling with God, with the angel, right? Like, that would have been a great thing to include in the book of Hebrews. No, he includes the deathbed blessing of Joseph's kids as his great claim to faith. And we're going to talk a little bit about why that's the case. And, and as we're working through the text, I want you to think about what the New Testament says about this. The New Testament says that what happens here is a worshipful experience, right? We, we, did, we didn't come across any Bible reading. We didn't come across any, uh, any songs, Right? What, what is worshipful about what we just read? We're going to talk about that at the end. So I want you to be thinking in terms of how would you explain this being a worshipful experience 
based on what we've just read. As we work through the text, we're going to come back to that question. Okay, But the Hebrew author calls this the greatest expression of Jacob's faith. We also find out here that Ephraim and uh, Manasseh, um, they get the full blessing that um, Jacob chooses to pass over Reuben, who is the true firstborn. He passes over Simeon. Ephraim and Manasseh instead will become tribes of Israel. Um, so they get joined into um, Joseph or Jacob's sons. Jacob technically adopts them here into his blessing. Okay, so Jacob's not going to be around long, so he doesn't really become a dad to them. But for inheritance purposes, he says, I'm adopting your two sons. They will receive the double portion, specifically Ephraim, out of the two. Okay? Um, so let's talk about the text here a little bit. First of all, in our notes, number one, a mature faith is hopeful of the future. A mature faith is hopeful of the future. Now, just like we said, just because you're old doesn't mean you have mature faith, and it also doesn't mean that until you're old, you can't have mature faith. So we're just connecting the fact that old age certainly gives greater opportunity for mature faith, but all of us here, no matter what age we are, need to pursue mature faith. And one of the signs of mature faith that Jacob demonstrates here is his hope in the future. For our kids, as we get older, we should look forward to our future. And Jacob has certainly become consumed with the promises of God about his future. <clears throat> we see this, first of all, in that he requests that his body be buried in Egypt, right? Um, back in Genesis chapter 47, this kind of wraps up chapter 47 for us before we get into the blessing of Jacob's, uh, or Joseph's sons. In chapter 47, he, he, he makes a pretty strong, pretty uh, strict covenant with Joseph um, that he makes sure that he take his body back to Canaan um, when he dies, that he doesn't want to be buried in Egypt. And they're actually going to carry him back to Egypt before they actually exodus out of Egypt. So they carry Joseph's bones when they leave Egypt. They're going to take Jacob's back prior to that. But he's very insistent about this taking place. And so think about this for a minute. And, and I, want it to, I want it to resonate with us why this is such a big deal, because in our minds, we may think, eh, that's a simple request. That's not a huge deal. But think about the fact that um, Jacob's probably living in the best living conditions he has ever experienced in his life, right? Like he's been subjected to famine. He's been subjected to harsh treatment with Laban. He's been kind of bouncing around. Remember, they had to flee the Shechemites because his, his sons came in there and killed them. So he's not really had a great place to call home. And it's not like he gets to Egypt and dies real quick. Like he lived 17 years in Egypt. That's the same amount of time he had with Joseph before Joseph was exiled to Egypt. So he's in Egypt for a long time. And what's unique here is that he doesn't fall in love with the best conditions he's ever had in life. Right? Like we would maybe think and maybe even excuse him at the end of his life and saying, Hey, you know what? Egypt's become home to me. Like I love this place. It's been awesome living here the last 17 years. I've been cared for and, and, and prioritized. And because my son is second in command in Egypt, I have everything at my disposal. Just go ahead and bury me here. Like I'm content. I'm dying in peace here. Like this is a great place. And he's, he's very insistent. Nothing about Egypt entices me right? Like nothing about Egypt has caused, me, has caused me to fall in love with it over what I know God is going to give me. He insists on his body being carried back to Canaan, and he sees it as a declaration of faith in the promises that God has made to them about the land. Back in Genesis 15, way back, um, God started making promises to Abraham 
that he was going to give this land to his descendants. And Jacob doesn't lose sight of that. Despite all the, despite all the hoopla in Egypt, despite all of the bright lights and, and, and all of the great things, he says, you know what, this isn't home. No matter how satisfied I am physically here, this is not where I want to be. Take me back to the promised land, all right? Um, he requests that his body be buried. He also shows maturity in his faith and hoping for the future by communicating the blessings to Joseph's sons that are ultimately greater than Egypt's, all right? He communicates blessings that are greater than Egypt to Joseph's sons. Think about this. Joseph's second in command in Egypt, and he's got two sons that aren't full-blooded Hebrew, right? right? Like it's not, Joseph's a foreigner, but Joseph's sons have claims to Egypt because their mom is Egyptian. So why not kind of see their uh, long-term success being tied to the Egyptian future, right? Like, like they may have a, a political future in their, in their sights as well because Joseph's second in command Mom's an Egyptian. Remember, she was the daughter of an important uh, priest in their religion. So future would be bright for these two kids. I mean, if the, if the dominoes fall right and the chips fall where they are, they may not be Pharaoh, but they may be in line to be pretty important next to Pharaoh, especially if dad's investing in them like he should and, and teaching them leadership principles. I mean, these guys, are, these guys are like princes of Egypt. You know what? Jacob says, come here, boys. Um, come here, I've got something for you. I've got something better than anything this place can offer you. Don't, don't get enticed in thinking that uh, leadership in Egypt is better than what I have to offer you. And so he brings them close and, and begins to make promises and prophesies over them. Says um, in verse 16 of chapter 48, in them let my name be carried on. The name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. He begins to make promises and, and double portions being given to them as a child of Israel. And it's better than anything Egypt can offer. And I think you could even say that Joseph's demonstrating faith here in that Joseph wants them to be identified with Jacob as he's dying. Jo- Joseph wants them to be identified with their future in Israel rather than Egypt. And there's no evidence in Scripture that Ephraim or Manasseh develop any type of rank in Egypt. He believes, Joseph, or Jacob does, he believes in the ongoing presence of God with his people. He says, you know what? This is not the end. He says in verse 21, then Israel said to Joseph, behold, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. So Jacob's demonstrating this faith in God's promises and and he's wanting his descendants, wanting his grandkids to see that nothing that Egypt, for us, nothing this world can offer is better than these great promises that God has made. All right, so in, in his mature faith, he shows that he wants to be buried in Egypt, or uh, I put that request that his body be buried in Egypt. Canaan is what it should have said. Um, communicates blessings that are greater than Egypt. And then number three, he leaves a plot of land in Canaan to Joseph as well. Jacob is very hopeful regarding his future. He doesn't want to stay in Egypt. He wants his, his grandkids to see that their, their future inheritance is tied to Canaan, not Egypt. And then his last words to Joseph, verse 22, Moreover, I have given you, rather than to your brothers, one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. 
We don't have the details of when that took place or exactly what piece of land that is, but it's most likely the place where Joseph ends up being buried back in Joshua or in Joshua 24:32 it talks about where Joseph's bones actually get laid to rest and it's most likely tied to this land that Jacob gives to him again it's all tied up in the fact that this isn't our future this isn't our destiny this is temporary there's something far greater to come and, and Jacob's hope is completely tied to that idea so what does that mean for us <clears throat> implication wise a sign of mature faith a healthy discontentment with the best this world offers. A healthy discontentment with the best that this world offers. All right? Um, Hebrews eleven thirteen, that same chapter, talking about the Old Testament people and their faith. Hebrews eleven thirteen. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Old Testament people looking towards something far better than anything this world could offer. 1 Peter chapter 2, for us in the New Testament to have a similar mindset. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, Behold, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul, right? We, we are sojourners, we're exiles. This isn't our long-term home, that nothing this world can offer us. So, you know, we have to guard ourselves and protect ourselves from, from building these kingdoms here and viewing this as the end. So a sign of mature faith, whether you're young or old, a sign of mature faith is a healthy discontentment with the best this world offers. Jacob could have easily requested the best the best burial plot in Egypt and been handled. His body could have been handled far better than any other culture was handling bodies at that time. But he says, you know what? This isn't my home. There's something better that God has promised us. All right? So um, mature faith, hopeful of the future, discontentment with the best this world offers. Number two, a mature faith is grounded in the past. So not only is a mature faith hopeful in the future, a mature faith is grounded in the past. For our kids, as we get older, we should remember important things from our past. And it certainly allows our faith to grow and uh, for our faith to build upon those previous experiences. Jacob does this specifically by remembering God's faithfulness to his ancestors. As Jacob is communicating with both Joseph and Joseph's sons, he highlights God's faithfulness to their ancestors. In uh, Genesis 48, as he begins to talk about um, the God who's empowered him to bless, it says in verse 14, Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And in them let my name be carried on. In the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. <coughs> the God that Jacob trusts is a God who has been faithful for generations. The God Jacob trusts is a God who has been faithful for generations. I don't know about your family. I, I wish one thing different about my family. I wish that 
um, that I could talk about God's faithfulness within our family really prior to my mom. Like uh, my dad's parents died when I was very young, so I don't have a, a ton of experience with them. Uh, my mom's parents, uh, while, while she believes them to be Christians, ha- have never really um, have been a strong spiritual presence in our life. Uh, great grandparents, but um, not people that we've necessarily looked to for, for a strong spiritual heritage. So I hate from a, from a physical standpoint, from a natural standpoint, that our family doesn't go back too far to where we can recount God's faithfulness generation and generation previously. Now, I can from a spiritual standpoint because believing that as a Gentile, I'm grafted into the Jewish nation and grafted into God's people, I can say, hey, what Jacob's talking about here, that, that's our heritage too. Like that, that's, that's my spiritual heritage. God's faithfulness to those people gives me confidence in God's faithfulness to me. You may be in a situation where you can attest to the fact that your grandparents and maybe even your great-grandparents um, have stories of God's faithfulness. And what a, precious, um, what a precious gift that is, and I can't encourage you enough to pass that on to your children. For your children to have what I would love to have is a generational-type perspective on God's faithfulness to your family name. Uh, Jacob has that. Jacob has that, and he talks about Abraham and Isaac, and he says, the God that I'm talking about is the same God that my dad and his dad worshiped faithfully. And it's the same God that was faithful to them. And um, Jacob remembers these promises and remembers this faithfulness. And it it encourages his own faith, encourages his own trust in the future as he remembers um, his faithfulness in the past. But number two, Jacob also remembers God's faithfulness to himself personally. So it's not just to his ancestors, but Jacob looks back and draws upon his previous experiences right? He says back at the beginning of chapter 48, as he's become ill, and this is crazy, this is the first um, reference to sickness or illness in the book of Genesis. Now, I think other people were sick and ill, but it's interesting that this is the first time that it's mentioned. And so while Jacob's old and will, will die of old age, it may also be tied to the fact that he got sick, and that's different maybe than what we saw um, in, in previous deaths in Genesis. But it says that after this, Joseph was told, behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And it was told to Jacob, your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty, or El Shaddai, appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you and I will make of you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. There's a couple of times where God appears to him at Bethel, right? In Genesis chapter 28, real quick, just to reference what he's talking about. In Genesis chapter 28, verses 12 through 14, when he's leaving the promised land to go live with Laban, trying to escape Esau, And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed." This is decades prior, and it's still just like it happened in Jacob's mind. He says, this is what happened. This is why my faith is grounded like it is. In um, Genesis chapter 35, moving forward in his life, he gets another vision from God at the same Bethel. 
Genesis chapter 35, verse 11. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come for you, come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in that place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel. This is God communicating with Jacob and it, and it still resonates with him on his deathbed and he's still referencing these past experiences and he says, this is what God has done for me. These are the promises that God has made to me. Jacob remembers God's faithfulness in that he's a provider um, and he encounters that provider as God promises to provide things, but he also identifies God as his shepherd. Back in Genesis chapter 58, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, this is in verse 15, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. This is the first time in scripture that the term shepherd is applied to God. Now we, we know of other passages in scripture, obviously. This is the very first time that we see God acting as a shepherd or someone referencing God as a shepherd. Psalm chapter 23 is the familiar one. Um, but let's look at a couple others. You can take time to, to read that. Um, on your own time, but Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. In John chapter 10, Jesus references himself like a shepherd. In John chapter 10, verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my, sh my life for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. Thankfully, that's us, the Gentiles, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Hebrews chapter 13, another reference to, to God being a shepherd for us. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20 and 21 at the end of the book of Hebrews says, now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead your Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good that you may do his will. And then the last one, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 25. For you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And what a great picture of what God does, especially in the context of how we think about Jacob. Jacob, a man who's been wandering for a lot of his life, hasn't really been able to settle down, continues to find new places to live. He's just undergone a huge change where he's moved to Egypt. And he looks back on his life and he says, you know what? God has been my shepherd and he's never stopped being my shepherd. That's what I love about this passage. It's, 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 it's not just him throwing out a cliche that we think of today that, that God is our shepherd. He's tying it to the fact that he's been my shepherd all my life long to this day. And when I think about what that means, when we think about a shepherd who's, especially in the context of Psalm 23, talking about how he leads us and guides us and, and protects us and, and takes us where we need to go so that we can be nourished and protects us from evil, right? Like that's what's, what's, what's kind of on the forefront of Jacob's mind. He says, remember, remember he confessed to his sons, he says, everything's against me right? Like he tells, he tells Pharaoh when he before, appears before Pharaoh, my life's been, been kind of full of evil, right? Like the cards have always been stacked against me, I feel like. My, my, um, 
my, my, uh, my brother wanted to kill me. My uncle wanted to, to kill me. Uh, he, he abused me for years, took advantage of me. I tried to marry the love of my life, and I got stuck with her sister. Um, it's, just been, it's just been rough. And then, and then I, I've got a son who I cherish. My, my, my favorite wife dies. My son who I cherish is mysteriously and, and, and you know, at last minute just taken from me. And I think he's dead for, for most of his life. And now as he's able to look back, and here's where that age thing comes in. Now that he can kind of pause at the end of his life and look back and he says, man, he's been guiding me the whole time. Wow, he's been a shepherd to me every step of the way. And when I thought it was bad, he led me right through the bad to the good on the other side. I love how he identifies God here. For the very first time, and maybe the psalmist and the Hebrews author, maybe they're kind of drawing back on this idea. Because for the very first time, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Jacob says, God has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. He goes on to say, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil. This is the first time that the the concept of redeemer is applied to God as well. He says, God has redeemed me from all evil. Remember the evil that was stacked against me? Now that I look back on it, I can see God rescuing me from that evil. Galatians chapter four, an appropriate passage for us in, in this season of the year with Christmas. We've seen in the New Testament the the continuation of that theme of God being our shepherd. Galatians chapter four, verse four, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to do what? To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. When the right time came 2,000 years ago, God sends his son to be the ultimate redeemer for mankind. And Jacob highlights that. As he looks back on his life, he says, wow, God's been my shepherd. He's been guiding me, guiding me when I didn't know where I was going, right? Like guiding me when I didn't know what the next step was supposed to be. When I think back on my life, still young, but have some experiences to draw upon, like immediately I'm drawn back to that incident where I'm in the the hotel room and and I have no idea what job I'm supposed to take and I have no idea where I'm supposed to go. And I can look back and say, wow, he's been a shepherd to me. He's been guiding me and directing me. And and, and a few years ago when when I'm teaching Bible and God begins to develop a desire in me to be a principal and I look at my education and I say, you know what? Nobody's gonna hire me to be a principal. I don't have education that says I can be a principal. And yet God, God shepherds me to have a conversation with my leadership to say, hey, if there's ever an opening, I'd like to be a principal. And little do I know that there's a, they're, they're in the midst of a transition at Trinity and, and, and God thrusts me into that position and, and now Tyson's working there. I mean, I can look back and see God's faithfulness. I can say, he's the shepherd. He's the one that was guiding me to where I'm at in my life right now. And I can look back at the evil in my life, things that were meant for evil from the enemy and say, you know what? The evil intent didn't didn't happen. The evil intent wasn't accomplished. God has worked good in those circumstances. Jacob is crying out in a worshipful way, talking about these experiences, identifying God in these different roles as a provider, as a shepherd, as a redeemer. And the implication for us in the New Testament, a sign of mature faith, we said, first of all, healthy discontentment with the best this world offers, but secondly, acknowledging God's good work 
in past difficulties. And that's where someone who's of older age has most likely had more difficulties they've come through. And that's why it gives them a greater capacity to praise God. Because they can look back and say, time and time again, God carried me through those past difficulties. A mature faith is hopeful of the future, but it's also grounded in the past. And someone with mature faith can look in the past and can see a shepherd, can see a redeemer carrying them through their life circumstances. Number three, a mature faith is conscious of the present. A mature faith is conscious of the present. For kids, as we get older, we should see God working around us more. Not that God is working around us more, we should just notice it more. As our faith is maturing, right, as, as for our kids, God's always working around them in the midst of your family. They just don't see it, right? Like they're just not conscious of it. They don't pick up on it. But someone who's maturing in their faith, they start to see God working in ways they didn't see him working before. They start to connect the dots better, right? Like they can actually, they can give praises and testimonies to what God is doing where in the past they were just kind of oblivious to it, right? Like they, they knew that dad was without a job and, and they know we prayed a little bit about it at bedtime and now dad has a job. And, and as they get older, they start to see, you know what, that's, that's God providing. Right? That's God as the shepherd, that's God as the great provider. So as we get older, we should see God working around us more. And that certainly seems to be the case with Jacob as well. First of all, Jacob discerns that God is working beyond his expectations. Right, I love this. God, Jacob has like expectations or desires, and then he's able to testify to the fact that, that God's worked beyond his expectations. Um, says in verse ten of chapter forty-eight. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, "I never, I never expected to see your face." And behold, God has let me see your offspring also. It's like they're about to get into this formal adoption ceremony where he's gonna bestow blessings on him. And it's almost like Jacob in the midst of it just pauses and says, Joseph, let me tell you something right here. Um, I never expected to see you again. And, and here I am at the end of my life holding your kids, holding my grandkids. He's like, I, I prayed, I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed that you were okay, that you were out there, that you weren't dead, that my greatest fears of an animal devouring you weren't true. And, and honestly, I didn't, I didn't expect to see you again. And here I am holding your kids. He's like, this is beyond my expectations, right? And we know that, that, we know that the New Testament testifies to the fact that, that God works and moves beyond anything we can ask or think, right? He attributes this blessing to God's working, Jacob's rejoicing here at the end of his life. But number two, not only does Jacob discern that God is working beyond his expectations, Jacob discerns that God is working against human expectations. All right? He purposefully reverses the older, younger order here. All right? Like the, the text goes into great detail about how Joseph very meticulously wants to set the stage. Dad can't see, so let me make sure I put Manasseh over here where he'll bless him with his right hand. Let me make sure I put Ephraim here so we get this worked out. Maybe Joseph's thinking back. Remember when, when dad would tell us about how granddad botched the blessing and thought he was blessing dad and he was blessing or thought he was blessing uh, Esau, Uncle Esau, but he was actually blessing dad. And Joseph's like, ah, dad hadn't been able to see good for a while. Let's make sure he gets this right. So, so Joseph very carefully sets the stage. 
Manasseh's getting the blessing. Ephraim will get some of it, but Manasseh's the firstborn. And what, what does Jacob do? Jacob, Jacob can't even see. I don't know, maybe he just anticipates the fact that Joseph's done this, but it's almost like he goes to bless him and then like last minute switches. And Joseph's like, no, like I've planned this. This is supposed to go differently. And, and Jacob's just like, I know, I know, I know how you feel. But, but this is God's will, right? Like this is what God wants. And, and things are gonna be great for Manasseh as well. But, but for reasons we don't understand, Ephraim is the one that's gonna get this special blessing right? Like he's able to discern uh, when God is working against human expectations. Even though Joseph disapproves of it, Jacob says this is right. And Ephraim does become the dominant tribe of the north. When the tribes get split later in the history of Israel, sometimes the name Ephraim is even used interchangeably with the name of Israel. And so Ephraim does become an important part of the history of Israel. For the implication, sign of mature faith, recognition, and contentment when God works contrary to our plans. Recognition and contentment when God works contrary to our plans. It takes a great man of faith, it takes a great man of faith to be blessed with the things of this world and remain discontent with it, right? It takes a great man of faith who can have the riches of this world. Think about the guys that you work for, right? The guys that are the big wigs, the guys that make the money and drive the cars and have the boats and have the lake houses and have all the stuff. Those guys, it takes a great man of faith who can have everything this world offers and still say, you know what? This isn't it. This isn't it. There, there's, there's greater things to come because of God's promises. It takes a great man of faith who can look back into his life and say time and time again, what was meant for evil turned out for good and God shepherded me through that. It takes a great man of faith. And then it takes a great man of faith. It takes a great woman of faith who can recognize and be content that God's doing something here that I didn't plan. And I may not even be okay with it right now. But I'm gonna be content knowing that this is better than what I had planned. It takes a great individual of faith who can be in the midst of a circumstance, be in the midst of a situation and say, this isn't going like I had planned. This isn't going the way that I wanted it to. This was, supposed to, this was supposed to go differently. This was supposed to turn out different. It takes a great man of faith, a great woman of faith who can recognize when plans are breaking down and be content with knowing that God's got something better in, in store, that God's got something better in play. So going back to that question, what is worship according to this passage? Right, like the New Testament says, Hey, this scene right here, this is Jacob's greatest day when it comes to his faith. This is Jacob's greatest day of his faith. Because if I'm gonna talk about Jacob's faith, I'm gonna go to his deathbed and talk about the scene where he blesses his, blesses his grandkids. What's worshipful according to this? What, what, what kind of stands out here? What, 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 to, what, what is worshipful about this experience? No music, no songs, none of the traditional things we might think of when we think about worship, right? Like, what, what, what's worshipful about this? There's obviously a lot of praise that's taking place verbally, even though there's not music to accompany it, right? Um, for, for me, as I'm studying this passage and looking at it, it's, it's a man uh, who, who is demonstrating belief in God's word and trusting God with the outcome of his life. That, that's what the worship is here. It's a man who says, you know what? Let me talk to you about times past. Let me talk to you about God's faithfulness to my ancestors. Let me talk to you about God's faithfulness to me and the promises that he's made to me at Bethel, right? Like it's, it's a man who believes God's word, 
It's a man who understands God's word and he's trusting him with the outcome of his life. Like that, that's the essence of the worship here. The New Testament says this was a worshipful experience for Jacob. Why? Because he's testifying to God's faithfulness through his word. He's testifying to God being a faithful God that's worth trusting in. And what's he doing? He's asking his family members to, to, to reciprocate that trust, right? He's, he's asking his, his son, Joseph. He's asking his grandsons, hey, believe the same things I believe. Right, believe in this God who has something greater for our family than anything Egypt can offer. Hey, bury me in Egypt, uh, bury me in Canaan, not in Egypt, right? Because there's something greater coming. Hey, I've got blessings for you. I don't know what your future looks like in Egypt, but I got blessings for you when we get back to the land. It's going to be better than anything this world can offer. And he says, "Look, you've got a shepherd that will guide you and deliver you from evil." Right? It's a it's a man who believes God's word and is trusting Him with the outcome of our life. Application, what are you doing now? What are you doing now to ensure your greatest feats will be accomplished in your final days? What are you doing now to ensure your greatest feats will be accomplished in your final days? Right, like this doesn't just get to the end of life and now Jacob starts to realize all these things, right? Like this has been building for Jacob. Jacob's been realizing these things along the way, right? He's been doing these things along the way. He's been acknowledging these things along the way, but it's at the end of his life where he can stand as a pillar in God's people and say, let me testify to you. Let me talk to you about the God that we worship and the faithfulness of that God, right? It's not that he pauses for 10 minutes here and does this thing and says, hey, let me think back a little bit here and see if God's been good or not. Yeah, I guess he has been good. Like this has been building for years. He's been acknowledging these things for years, right? And this is what I love is that like Jacob's not past his prime at the end of his age, right? Like Hebrews author says his greatest feat was in his final days, which is a great testimony to us is that as we get older in the church, as we get older in our life, when we're connected to God's people, our greatest days are still there, right? We still have something great to offer to the younger individuals, the younger believers in the church. Wow, we need to hear your stories. We need to hear how God's been faithful because we're young and we don't have the life experiences yet, right? Like we don't have the experiences of God carrying us through some of the difficulties that he's carried you through. What are you doing now to ensure that your greatest feats will be accomplished in your final days? Our family worship questions for this week. As you're interacting with your kids, um, Leading your family in worship at home, number one, what are some things we can look forward to most about our future as Christians? Being able to lead your kids in a discussion about what are some of the things that we can look forward to most, right? Like this isn't it, right? The, the new house that we're looking at buying, the, the, the new things that we're talking about getting for Christmas, the new things that we'd like to get as a family in the future, that's not it, right? That's, that's not, maybe, maybe, maybe mom and dad have promised some things. We're gonna, we're gonna do this next year. We're gonna do this in two years. Those aren't the promises we look forward to when we talk about our future. What, what are some of those promises that God's made that we can look forward to as Christians? And number two, what are some ways we can see God work right now within our family? What are some ways we can see God working right now within our family? Help your kids grow in their faith by helping them see some of the ways that you as a mature Christian can see God working. They may be oblivious to it right now. Help them understand how God is currently working within your family um, and help mature them in their faith so they can start to see those things without you having to prompt them. All right, let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for this passage of Scripture, and um, God, we thank you for the importance that you applied to it in the book of Hebrews. This is certainly a worshipful passage as we look and see Jacob testifying 
and proclaiming the great things that you had done in his life. And God, he desires to pass those on. And Father, we're thankful that we can read those things and have them passed on to us as as members of his spiritual family way down the road. But God, I pray that we would we would take this passage and that we would we would see the application of it for today, for now. God, help us to see that we have a responsibility to connect the dots as, as we're being shepherded by you and redeemed by you, that we can, we can acknowledge that and give praise and glory to you for that. God, we don't want to take credit for the job promotion. We don't want to take credit for the move that we make with our family as though we were the ones that, that figured out all the details and, and had the foresight and the, uh, the knowledge to do what was necessary. God, we want to give that credit to you as the shepherd of our life, as the great shepherd of our souls. God, we want to be able to do that. We want to leave a spiritual legacy with our children so that as we continue to grow and get older, that in our final days, we have the greatest capacity to worship you because we can testify and proclaim your faithfulness and your goodness time and time again as we reflect upon our life experiences. God, help us to be discontent with the best this world offers. Help us not to to long for and desire theoretically the best of Egypt. God, help us to instead keep our eyes focused on the world to come. <coughs> God, help us to, um, to be content when you're doing things that are contrary to how we wanted it to work out. Um, God, I pray that we would um, not grow frustrated and um, discontent. Instead, we would identify your goodness as you lead us in ways that, that will far exceed our expectations if we allow them to. Um, We thank you that you're that type of God, that you're that type of shepherd who knows what we need better than we know it. And we thank you that you're a redeemer who saves us from sin and saves us from the evil intent of the enemy and turns all things for the good of your children. God, help us to to be able to communicate that to our children in a way that it becomes something that they can put their faith and trust in. That we we can point our kids, as Jacob did, to the same faith that we have. We praise you and we thank you. We pray that Chris and Melissa would have a uh, productive um, week. We pray that they too would be able to communicate the things that we've talked about today to a people that are still young in their faith, um, that are still young and and, inexperienced in their knowledge of who you are. Help them to to show and enlighten the people there in in Uganda about your goodness. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.